Episode 6 of Clothed Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. I'm Ephraim Ellis, and this week I'm wearing a uh, League of Courteous Cyclists t-shirt that I got at a, uh, no, that I didn't get, that a friend of mine bought for me as a present at a comic book convention one. It's pretty sweet. Uh, and a multicolored flannel shirt and blue jeans. And I am Chris Small, and today I am wearing maroon shorts, which I really should have done for maroon. Didn't think ahead for that one. And a Questlove t-shirt that I got from Redbubble that I paid way too much money for and chose a v-neck, not realizing that that is a very deep V. So I only wear this shirt when I'm feeling really confident or when I'm really hungover and don't care. And as this episode goes on, you'll find out which it is based on my performance. (laughs) Um... Though, for what little I know of Questlove, I feel like a deep V is the only type of V that he would have on his merch. I feel like that's very on brand for that artist. It's his only V. <laughs> and this week, we are talking about the 2003 album Everything to Everyone. Absolutely fantastic record in my humble opinion. Chris, any thoughts right off the bat? Positive, negative? Right off the bat, it's a very contrasting album to me some of the tracks i absolutely love some of the tracks i think are a bit filler but it'll always have a place in my heart because i got this album for christmas back in uh, 2003 and i remember listening to it every day walking the dogs on my walkman uh, during the christmas break in montreal so i, I associate just snow falling and really picturesque family times with this album oh that's so wonderful um yeah no i've uh, i've got like some pretty like deeply planted memories of this record as well because um i think as i mentioned last week during the maroon episode said i kind of got into bare naked ladies as like a real fan like when i was in grade 10 and 11 which means that when i got into them everything up to maroon had already come out so this was the first bare naked ladies record to come out after I had already been a fan. So this was the first one that I picked up after being a fan of the record. So it's the first new album of theirs, I remember. It's the first time I remember going like, oh, there's a new Bare Naked Ladies album coming out. I'm excited to go get it. Yeah, me too, actually. it's it's We're very similar that way because I think I told you in previous episodes the first album that gave me massive exposure was Disc One, All Their Greatest Hits, and that was the release prior to everything to everyone so similar to you this was the first new album i got where it was i'm experiencing this band at the same time that everyone else is disc one came out after maroon yeah it was the it was 2001 uh disc one oh cool okay yeah no that's weird it's uh it's kind of strange because i don't actually have disc one i've never listened to it i think i downloaded like the two new songs off it because there was wizard of magic land and get in line. Uh, and oh, and thanks, thanks that, that was fun. fun. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got like the two like new songs off it, but the rest of it, I was like, oh no, I have the rest of the records already. What do I need a greatest hits album for? Yeah, so I didn't really listen to the greatest hits that much because I had already listened to the rest of it. Yeah, everything to everyone was the first new album of theirs. I remember being excited about. And there are some new greatest hits on this one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so everything to everyone released October twenty first. 2003 and the number one single on the billboard hot 100 that week was baby boy by beyonce featuring sean paul a song i do not remember it's crazy that that song came out the same year that crazy in love came out by beyonce because i feel like that just overshadowed everything that she would have done that year but hey for that week good good for sean paul Uh, the number one single of the entire year of 2003 was in the club by 50 cent that 100% checks out. Yeah. Yet again, I am feeling so very, very out of touch whenever we go through this segment of the podcast. Because <laughs> I have only vague memories of any of these songs. We kind of know what like niche area of the music culture I was a part of. The number one single on the Canadian Billboard charts of 2003 was Bridge Over Troubled Water slash This Is The Night by Clay Aiken. He's not Canadian. No, American Idol, runner-up. Yeah. Weird. We keep on running into this of, like, Canadians' weird relationship with <laughs> their own pop culture. We don't usually gravitate towards it as Canadian citizens, which is, I think, a bummer. I think, like, Shania Twain was on 
like for a couple of weeks on like the charts of 2003. And I think like as much as I don't like them personally, but I think How You Remind Me was released in 2003 by Nickelback. And you would think that that would be oh, a yeah! much far bigger song than something that Clay Aitken did, particularly on the Canadian charts. And this is oh, and this isn't something I should probably admit on the record on a podcast. But like in 2003, like I didn't like Nickelback, but I didn't dislike Nickelback the way that everyone does now. I thought like, oh, yeah, it's just kind of a boring song. Yeah, whatever. It's it was inoffensive at the time. Um, and yeah, it was everywhere. I would have thought that would be much further up the charts there. Yeah. But hey, good for Clay Aiken. Yeah. Apparently he's a Democrat political candidate or something in America right now. So Wait, a candidate? Yeah, I don't know how the political system works. I don't know. Oh, man, I'm going to have to dive into a bunch of much more current news after we finish recording. Uh, Everything to Everyone peaked at number 10 in America, which is the highest an album of theirs would chart until Grinning Streak came out in 2013. So 10-year kind of, not lull, I'd say, but in terms of popularity, I guess, in the States, they kind of peaked with this one for a bit before Grinning Streak. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know that Grinning Streak really did anything in the States. I thought this was kind of like their last gasp of relevance in the United States, for better or for worse. Again, I think for better, because I feel like this record was kind of a turning point towards them kind of like just being themselves and doing their own thing. Foreshadowing for Grinning Street, I think it is totally yeah. justifiable because that might very well be in my top three. Mm. I thought that was a spoiler alert. I feel like we discussed this while we were actually at a we were uh, at a concert for the tour of that record. Mm-hmm. I think like so. Like at Molson, I think yeah. it was the amphitheater. That's right. That's a when Ben Folds Five opened for them, or they might have just been Ben Folds at that point. I think it was just Ben Folds, and also yeah, that's kind of nuts that they got Ben Folds to open for them at the Molson Amphitheater. It's kind of like I imagine when they were touring America, it was like all right, and then like they get to Toronto, it's like all right, this is our night now. This is I'll let you have this one. You can have the shitty sound check time. I do think that is kind of neat that it's like, oh, yeah, when we're in Canada, we're bigger, so you'll open for us. <laughs> and then maybe they were around with him in the States, be like, oh, no, Ben, you're the big boy down here south of the border. We'll open up for you guys. Uh, the three singles from this album were Testing 123. We're going to get into that song. Oh, I love that song. Another postcard. And we're going to get into you, that song. Let me tell you, I don't like that song. We are definitely going to get into that. Oh, boy. Um... And Celebrity, the very first track, uh, was a single in the UK only, while Maybe Katie, track two, was only a single in Canada, which I do remember. So you remember that being on the radio a lot? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Nice, a lot of singles from this album. It was the uh, first album that the band as a whole decided to uh, collaborate as like a full collective on in the songwriting process, which apparently was a, um, like a very active decision after they had finished recording and touring kind of nonstop throughout the Stunt Maroon years. They decided they were just going to keep the songwriting within the band and just the band. But uh, it's kind of neat because they ended up branching out from just Steve and Ed collaborating, that they actually, like, Kevin and Jim kind of worked with Steve and Ed on a couple songs on this, which I did not actually know until very, very recently, which is kind of cool. It makes sense because it's almost like a reset, this album, if you think about... Maroon coming out in 2000, All Their Greatest Hits 2001. Three years is a pretty long time It's between albums, it seems. So I could very much see them kind of having that mandate and just kind of really not scrapping what worked, but just kind of reinventing the wheel a little bit and see what they could decide as a whole. Yeah, well, actually, uh, looking over their discography thus far, there's been exactly two years between all of their previous records, and this is the first time there's been like a three and a half year gap. So it's definitely the longest gap between albums that they've had so far. And from what I can tell, that was an active choice because they kind of were just like recording it on the road nonstop from like Born on a Pirate Ship all the way through to Maroon. So like from 94 to 98, they were just like on the road, not taking any breaks. So this was kind of like a, a chance to step back and really focus on the songwriting, which is kind of cool. I was going to ask, like, this th this whole record does to me feel like a very separate era from the stunt maroon kind of era, but I've never been able to tell if that's because it actually is super different when it comes to its sound or if it's just because this is the first one that I picked up as a fan so that all the previous ones kind of like feel like an era because like they were in a different era in my discovering them as a fan no i tend to agree with you you think about that greatest hits album coming out i feel like anytime a band has a greatest hits album it marks the end of a chapter of that band's discography right you're looking at it retrospectively 
and saying, okay, well, these are the hits now. These are the songs that we're going to play on a loop when it comes time for concerts. These are the songs that made us. And then everything after that is going to be fresh. Everything to Everyone's a really weird one, too, because after that, you had Snack Time, you had Bare Naked for the Holidays, two concept albums. So you had a kid's album, a Christmas album. Then you had Our Me, Our Men, and then Paige would leave the band. So it's almost like the last kind of it's not the last album that they're going to do, but still it's like, it feels very disjointed or separate or almost its own era or its own kind of thing encapsulated. Yeah. I always kind of feel, I always feel like our me and our men are kind of like in a trilogy kind of relationship with everything to everyone, but everything to everyone definitely feels like more like a classic bare naked ladies album as opposed to our me and our men, which are a bit kind of weirder. Yeah. I found but I think that really does have something to do with the fact that this was uh, the last album of the bands to be released and produced by Reprise Records. So this was their like last major label release. So I think kind of the fact that the subsequent records feel a bit weirder or more uh, self-indulgent makes it sound negative, but like the, the, like weirder and more individualistic. Everything to Everyone is still in that kind of like yeah, this is a lot of stuff written for the radio that we had on, like, Stunt and Maroon. We're, I have very strong opinions about that, and we're going to get into those as we address some of those songs. We are absolutely going to get into that. Speaking of stuff written for the radio and stuff, uh, Rolling Stone only gave this album two out of five. What a bunch of jerks. Which, I th- yeah, I think that's overly mean. I don't think that's deserved at all. However, a hipster paper of record, Consequence of Sound, gave this album five stars out of five in a retrospective review from 2010. Holy shit. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Although there, there, there's an excerpt from that review that says, uh, the, where the, uh, the author uh, says, I have to confess that I heard the ace Toronto band Bare Naked Ladies before, but I thought they'd only made one record stunt and that was 10 years ago what happened before and after completely passed me by maybe they were wonders of the one hit kind so exactly the mission statement quote unquote that we talked about in our first episode they are not uh and i'm pleased that that chicago hipster was able to find that that album (laughs) consequences of sound is based out of chicago pitchfork consequences of sound it seems as though every single elitist uh, music periodical seems to be over in that windy city there I just always assume Brooklyn, but maybe that's just all of the sketch comedy about Brooklyn hipsters that I've ingested over the years. And Portland's full of clowning. Exactly. The album cover of this record is a painting. No. Which is kind of cool because it's a very, very photorealistic painting uh, by Canadian artist uh, Chris Woods. It's really, really good. Apparently the original painting that was used for this album cover is still hanging in Stephen Page's farmhouse studio, which I think is really, really cool. If I was a rock star, I would keep memorabilia like that. I think that's amazing. That blows my mind that that is a painting. I honestly would have thought that was, that is literally, and I don't like when people throw the word literally around, but that literally is photorealistic because I believed it was a photo. Like the fact that that's an oil painting. I think for... I think for the longest time, I assumed it was a photo that had just been like, had like a whole ton of Photoshop done to it. I had just assumed that it was a photo that had been like airbrushed the shit out of. I So I got married recently uh, and a bunch of our guests, there was two guests in particular that sent uh, me and my wife a bunch of photos they took at the wedding, but they had added like a bunch of Photoshop filters to them afterwards. And a bunch of them looked quite hokey, but one of them was incredible and it was basically like did they commission an oil painting of us on our wedding and it's now my phone background and it's amazing so it's incredible what you can do with photoshop good thing they hired a real person to do this album cover also do you remember like the cd release of this record where the title of the album was on like a clear plastic slip case around the actual cover yeah, because then when you pulled it out, it was just the white flag. You didn't actually yeah. have the text on the flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like having the text on the flag, which is like the way it's designed, like kind of takes away from like the imagery of them, like lined up all looking proud, waving the white flag. Yeah, it's very cleverly done. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, something that occurred to me only today, e- like even though this is kind of more of a radio-friendly album and was like the last one to be released on a major label, it does feel to me that they are leaning towards being more willing to kind of just do their own thing again. And that uh, like some of the content of the album seems to be them like 
wrestling with and coming to terms with the ghost of one week. <laughs> if that makes any sense. It does. Um, and kind of like learning to let that go. So I'm like, ah, perhaps they are waving the white flag because they have uh, given up chasing uh, that lightning a bottle and uh, being everything to everyone. Ah, I like Perhaps that. they have given up. They are giving up with the white flag being everything to everyone and they're going to be their own uh, band from here on out. They're going to be their own men. There you go. Shall we get into it? Please, by all means. All right. Track one, Celebrity. All the really great opener uh right like off the bat yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's a it's very good good keyboard riff at the beginning uh i think this is one of the ones that kevin hearn collaborated on a lot so part of that songwriting process mm. which is nice so of course it's going to have a sweet key melody in there <laughs> yeah i think it's i think it's a really strong opener it's got some fun uh fun wordplay at the beginning phil esposito anytime that you could rhyme phil esposito it's just good lyricism <laughs> Like, it feels to me that, like, Steve thinks the band is bigger than it is with this song. <laughs> like, uh, I guess it's probably more tongue-in-cheek in that regard. But, yeah. I think a lot of the things that they do are wink-wink, nudge-nudge. But, yeah, it it does seem a bit, not self-indulgent, but, yeah, it, you could say, whoa, settle down, buddy. Yeah, well, I was, I was just kind of thinking about, like, listening to Celebrity, like, back-to-back with uh, Testing 1, 2, 3, that it kind of feels like with Celebrity... Steve is singing about all the perils of celebrity and isn't it horrible to be watched all the time and even though it was my dream and then on testing one two three Ed's like eh you know I wish we had been bigger on the radio (laughs) I think what's good about the new collaborative effort of the band is that anytime you don't like a song Kevin did it there you go also celebrity feels a bit like box set part two to me yeah I could see how there's a lot of ties there thematically yeah there's like some more meditations on like the themes of celebrity Mm -hmm. It's very slow for an opener, actually. Probably, like, a lot of their most more mm-hmm. previous albums really started with... And this is still a really good, catchy, upbeat song, but the tempo is much slower than, for instance, Too Little Too Late or uh, it's all or One Week. Yeah, yeah, and, like, both of those and also, like, Stomach versus Heart kind of, like, really hit the ground running right out the gate. Yeah. Like, they start immediately with, like, a really strong, like, hooky guitar riff, as opposed to this one it has the more, like, kind of melancholy piano thing to start off. Yeah. Kind of like Jane, I guess. Yeah. Track two, Maybe Katie. Maybe about, what's so maybe about, what's so maybe about Katie? I don't know what the fuss is all about. Just take it. I, uh, like, it's, 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 a, it's pretty good. I don't think it deserved to be a single. I think you can tell that they had fun with it. Mm-hmm. It must be fun to sing. Just the hook seems a lot of fun. But I, I remember going from Celebrity, which I much prefer to this song, being a bit let down. Yeah. It's kind of weird. I do like that you have Ed and Steve singing together. I always find that the songs that they're trading lead vocals are really strong and collaborative. So I like that about it. But aside from that... It's pretty forgettable. It's There's a lot more songs on this album that I find myself singing, like just randomly will pop in my head, and this, yeah. I can honestly say, has never once. Yeah. I kind of like how, like, because uh, the song is about doubt about whether to pursue a relationship or not um, with a very specific character. Hey, narrative specificity, I like it. But I, I kind of like how, like, Steve seems to be the main character and Ed's verses seem to be like the nagging doubts he has because like most of the lyrics seem to be about like oh yeah I should just go for it and then Ed comes in and says "Mm, maybe there's some really good call and response yeah I I don't remember this being on the radio a lot at that stage but I think it it must have come out later after the other singles because I find that normally when country only singles happen it's just they'll notice that you know, demographically, they'll just try something new. So that would make sense at that stage. Um, and I also just, I, I feel like I wasn't really listening to a lot of the radio during this period. <laughs> like, Well, it's, I find that because you have always been someone who is a driver, right? Because you being an actor, you have to have a means of transportation to get yeah. to auditions, to get places. I only got my driver's license when I was 27 years old. Oh, being a city kid. So 
I find that people who drove a lot just logically would listen to the radio more because it's just more of an opportunity to. Oh, you know what? That makes sense. And actually, now that I think about it, that's probably why I wasn't listening to a lot of the radio during this period because 2003, 2000, like I got my license in 2006, like when I was 21, mm. because I was forced to buy a TV production because <laughs> my character had to drive in the script. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so, and, uh, yeah, and they, uh, yeah, so they, like, it was really, really wonderful. They, like, paid to have me go out and do driving lessons on the days off. But this is also why, because, uh, like, in Canada, you have, like, your learner's permit, and then you have a, a secondary first gate license, like, intermediate period before you get your full license. So my second class license before I got my full license was a Manitoba driver's license, which I then carried around for, like, I think, I don't know how long you're allowed to keep your G2 before it expires, but, like, I waited literally as long as humanly possible before getting my dri my full driver's license. Like, it was going to expire any second. It's very important to specify the Canadian driver's license system because, exciting, as of this recording, we just re dropped our first episode, so we were able to see our demographics, and we have one listener in the UK, apparently, so for that one listener, if, you're stick if you've stuck around for this episode, that's how driving works in Canada. Also, like in the States, other side of the road. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know we're part of the Commonwealth, but there are some things that have to be North American, I guess. I thought the way that you phrased that when you're like, also, like, also the States, other side of the road, you were telling that to our American audience. It's like, oh, Canada, we drive on the other side of the road. I'm like, no, don't confuse them. No, 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 no. We share a border. That could be potentially fatal. <laughs> Said, And that's when one of our listeners blamed us when they got arrested crossing the border when they switched into oncoming traffic. Oh, what have we done? Um, is something that the band was asking themselves when they released this as the lead single off of the record. Another postcard in brackets with chimpanzees. Chimps in swimsuits, some chimps are swinging from a vine, some chimps in jack boots, some chimps that wish they could be my Sarsky and Hutch chimps. A chimp who's sitting on the can, a pair of Dutch chimps who send their love from Amsterdam. Another postcard. That's not the full title, but oh boy. Oh boy. That is a brilliant segue, and I am, ugh, ugh. That's all I gotta say. Uh, that's that's all you've. No. Oh, I've got a lot of things to say, but tell me more. Okay. Tell me more. Tell me more. I don't like this song. I no. So we talked about last episode how there was this weird pressure the band felt to replicate the success of stunt or maybe they felt that, and that didn't translate to the album. I thought it was great, and a lot of people said, "Oh, pinch me." the single off of Maroon was trying to replicate the success of One Week. I don't agree with that. Another postcard is definitely a single that was trying to replicate the success of One Week and Pinch Me. I really think that this was label interference, 100%. I was about to say, I, I think definitely label interference. This doesn't seem to me, like, this doesn't feel like it was written to recapture One Week, but it feels like an executive heard it and thought, oh, this is exactly the same as that other funny song you released. Let's make it the lead single. And the band went, no, please, let's not. Like it's got rap verses. It's got the chorus. Yeah, it's very much, it, I think that's exactly it. I think it was written as a joke song. Uh, the research that I did was saying that apparently yeah. Stephen's kids got a postcard in the mail that had a chimpanzee on it. Don't know if it was anonymous or not. And then they said, oh, that would make a good song. And he picked up his guitar and just started strumming along. So... I don't know. And now this is the result. It's, it tanked. It did not do very well as a single. And, and I do know that it's very polarizing to Barenaked Ladies fans. Like in terms of singles, this is probably the worst single they've ever put out, in my opinion. I, um, I'm not sure. Uh, that's, like, that's like a very hard line uh, I stand opinion by to take. I stand by it. I'm <laughs> sure. No, sure. Do, uh, like the, the problem is I want to disagree with you, but I can't think of one that's worse. The problem is, so, Chris, please, please keep being friends with me. I, I hate that I really like this song. Oh, no. I, um, like, I, I'm very This has been Clove Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> we da, 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 da. <laughs> Friendship annulled. Yeah, no, I, I do like this song, and I hate that I like this song because of all the reasons that we were just discussing. But, like... Um, Why do you like it? 
Let, let's put some As, positivity in there. I don't tell me why I, you okay, like it. I don't know if I'm using this this terminology correctly, but uh, Ed's weird reggaeton thing that he's doing is great. I just <laughs> it just tickles me. Uh, I just really really like it. The, his his flow on those weird semi rappy verses uh, I think is great. The content again I could take or leave. But at the same time, it's just a kind of weird and charming story for a song. Um, like, I, I also don't know whether or not this was any influence on the writing of the song, but it's basically just like the garden gnome bit from the movie Amelie. Do you, know, <laughs> do you remember that? I do. Yeah. I do remember. Man, Amelie was a pretty big thing in the early 2000s, so that would that would check out. <laughs> no, but it was in 2001, and this record came out in 2003. So I'm like, is this just just the garden gnome bit from Amelie, but with weird monkey cards? If this wasn't released as the main single and for everything that it represents, I probably would like it more. Yeah, it, no, absolute, no, no. I, I am absolutely with you on that. This is not deserved to be a single in any way, shape, or form, and I don't think it did them or their fan base or their reputation any favors making this the lead single. I'll concede that it's a fun song, Yeah, but because of just how disingenuous, not disingenuous, that's a bad word, but I guess just how artificial it feels mm -hmm. them trying to replicate the success of much better songs yeah. that organic th there's nothing organic about it it just feels factory yeah. made and i don't like that i don't think they could have gotten away with this on maroon no no way it's true i think five years was enough but it was still enough that people were able to call them on it being like no that's not we see what you're doing well, it was a, a pretty big risk that they were taking, making that the uh, lead single off of the record, but uh, maybe they thought they were going to get a do-over next time. How long have you been practicing these segues? Because you are on fire! Oh, thank you! I thought you were going to say that they were forced and really pathetic. <laughs> Uh, this is a nice uh, nice little song about regret. I feel like Steve likes to dip into that pool a lot, thematically. Yeah. it's It feels very much like you said how celebrity kind of feels tied to box sets off of Gordon. I feel like this is a bit tied to Break Your Heart off of Born on a Pirate Ship, just in terms of the way that, oh, yeah. the way that Steve is singing the hell out of it. I think that, again, it's one of those songs where... I really like when he like just goes full bravado and just like smashes it out. He's got a beautiful voice and when he like really hits those notes and he gets really into a song, which he does in this song. It starts very mm -hmm. quiet with the you can always get it right next time. It leads up and it gets into that crescendo where he just belts it out and then it goes quiet again. So I really appreciate that. I don't I don't really pay attention to the lyrics. I do like you yeah. can count on me to mess it up again because me I've got a lot of neuroses that I'm working on right now and a lot of, <laughs> so I feel like that's, uh, that's just Chris, kind of don't we all, <laughs> don't we don't all, we all. <laughs> it's just a mentality that we're all that, on our own journey. Uh, you can count on me to mess it up again. Just kind of is very, it sticks with me in the sense that like, Oh, well, you know, mm. I think that his neuroses are kind of similar to mine, except he does way more cocaine than I do. I mean, uh, I'm sure we would all like to be uh, Canadian rock stars, but I, I'm happy that you're making the choices that you are, Chris. Um, yeah, this one, I don't know. I feel like uh, like it's... it's. Now that you're talking about the virtuosity of the vocals, I'm reapproaching my opinion, but this is kind of a take-or-leave-it song for me. It just doesn't stand... It just doesn't stand out to me. It's got some hints of Sad Boy Page mm -hmm. in it. I think it's still... Like you said, it's a nice little... Nice little story contained mm -hmm. in there about regret, but I think it is just him wallowing yeah. a bit as well. But when he wallows, he sings very well, so. And, and I feel like it should be noted that this was written by four out of the five band members. Everyone but Tyler uh, had a bit of a hand in writing this song, but this does feel like this has a lot more Steve influence on it than the other three. And may, like, I have no evidence to back that up. That's just how it sounds to me. I don't know why I find that so funny that four, it took four writers to write the song that probably I think has the least lyrics. Yeah, there's not it. a lot of there's there's a lot of repetition in that track. 
The third single off the record is track five for some reason, um, and I really, really like it for you. And for every useless reason I know there's a reason not to care If I hide myself wherever I go Am I ever really there? Uh, is the name I of that song? I, okay, I'm really glad that we're in it's agreement on It's a great on song. One. That is probably... It's the one that stuck out the first time that I listened to this album really strongly with me. It's it's a country banger. That's the best I can describe yeah. it. Ed Robertson goes full country. That is, we've talked about how his musical influences just seem to be rap and country. And this, he just gets to go in all of his country twang glory. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, uh, I love that opening picking riff that like sticks around for the whole rest of the song. As you just mentioned, I'm also like anything that's got a country and western kind of influence on it. I immediately gravitate towards. Like you remember my like extremely over the top reaction to a uh, long way back home that I had only just discovered that track. That's right. A couple weeks ago, I was like, oh, but it's just that it has slide guitar. It's just that it has this like really overt alt country influence that I love it. Um, and that's why I love this song. It's so yeah. It's it's really really good. Yeah, just the, 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 the acoustic picking is fantastic. I'm a big, like, folk rock lover as well. And, like, any time that this band kind of, like, moves uh, moves back towards the kind of folk rock roots that it has, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that. It's one of the songs, if not the only song from this album, that they still play a lot on tour. Yeah. I think every show I've seen them on, they have done this song. And it's one of the songs that is usually in the middle of their set where they all abandon their instruments and they get into that semicircle and they do a couple of really intimate tracks and this always kicks it off. So it's got a yeah. soft spot in my heart for that. You can tell that the band really likes to play it. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's uh, that's also because this also feels like... I, I uh, It doesn't look like there's any of the specific credits for it in front of me right here, but this feels uh, not just because he's singing it, but just from the way that it's written, this feels like more of an Ed heavy song writing wise mm. as well. So I wonder if that's maybe one of the reasons why it always, why, why it shows up more in the, uh, in the rotation now when they're touring, now that Steve isn't in the band anymore, uh, that like the songs that Ed wrote maybe are more heavily in the rotation because of uh, more of a sense of ownership. I completely agree with that. I think that you could put this you could put this song on any of the albums post Stephen Page and it would fit in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 Really good song. Love it. Yeah, yeah. I this song sounds really like sweet and and lovey-dovey to me, but like I'm not quite sure exactly what it's about. It feels quite vague to me. Like it sounds like maybe it's about fear of commitment. I don't know. Any what do you think? An enigma wrapped in a mystery or a fool consumed by fear. Uh, that that kind of mm-hmm. checks out on the way that you're interpreting it. It's true, actually. I, Chris, I swear to God, I thought you were doing a bit. I didn't know that you were <laughs> quoting a lyric until halfway through that sentence. I thought... I just this guy's I thought I threw, I thought you I threw you a question that you were like, mm, I don't know, it's an enigma wrapped in a mystery. I thought that was... I will tell you that every time I hear that lyric, I think of Batman Forever. Oh, yeah. For some reason, because... The final 20 minutes of that movie are just the most ridiculous solving logic. I'm the Riddler. Another word for mystery is Enigma. Mr. Enigma. Edward Enigma. Solved it. Boom. So, hey, I just rewatched that movie last week because I'm a real cool person. Uh, on VHS, still holds up. Two major points unrelated to the Bare Naked Ladies I would like to bring up. Obviously, The Dark Knight is a better movie but I think Batman Forever is maybe a better Batman movie. If you subscribe to our Patreon that we're going to launch in a couple of months, you can hear all of these musings because we're going to do a side podcast where Ephraim <laughs> muses on the Batman films. <laughs> but you got to pay. F- it's behind a paywall. <laughs> One clothed man discusses uh, men in tights. <laughs> uh, and second, not an opinion, thing I observed, everybody remembers Kiss from a Rose from the soundtrack. And that only half the song is in the ending credits. It's the second song played. It, it Like, you'd think that would be the lead song in the end credits of that movie. It's the second song played, and they only get through, like, a, like 45 seconds of it, and it just fades out at the end. Weird. It has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It isn't played in the movie. It's like, you would have left the theater by then. Doesn't make any sense. 
I imagine the key grip is like, oh yeah, when my name comes up, Kiss from a Rose just kicks in during the credits. <sighs> Remember when Seal got mauled by a bear on 30 Rock? That was great. And he got mauled by tigers on Popstar. Never stop, never stop. Oh, yeah. Good film, no, by the way. No, it was not 30 Rock. I was just thinking of the thing from Popstar. <laughs> I just made up that episode of 30 Rock in my head. It was just from Popstar. <laughs> so after that very, very kind of like mellow, serious song, we're, uh, oh, we're back to the Jokey Boys. Well, you know that it's going to be all right. I think it's going to be all right, all right. Everything will always be all right when we go shopping. It's always You think that this is a jokey song, Yeah, eh? this feels, yeah, it feels like a novelty song to me and i don't know like i'm i'll 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 die on this hill i don't like this song um i know that it's trying to do like a consumerism comment thing but i don't like it it's it's too funny for me i don't like this song either definitely i think that i don't know if i'd call it jokey i think they're trying to be sardonic if anything and a bit biting but it's <laughs> that's really not the nature of the band so it just kind of comes out of nowhere I don't know what they're trying to do, especially it seems really forced and fake mm-hmm. when you are a band that is just coming off of like mass record sales in the US. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, everyone stop shopping, except if you're going to Tower Records. If so, buy five more copies of Stunt. <laughs> I do remember specifically this song being referenced. I was visiting a friend out near the american border and i can't remember what happened but like we like both of us had had just like a bummer week and we decided to drive to the outlet mall right over the border and we just kept saying oh no everything's gonna be all right when we go shopping that was (laughs) that was the entire purpose of the shopping trip uh and to be honest it did it was a 45 minute drive and we listened to the song 15 times on repeat god um yeah, like my my only notes about this song, like the first thing I wrote was "Jokey Boys," but it doesn't annoy me like Bedside Manor or Yoko did, and I don't know why. But then later mm. in the week, after I'd listened to the record six more times to prepare for the app, uh, my next note is just "Never mind, I hate this." <laughs> like, I it did, uh, I didn't mind it the first couple times, but the, yeah, I I would die happy never listening to "Shopping" by the Bare Naked Ladies ever again. So. There, there we go. It was a very nice trip to the mall, but very nice trip to yes. the outlets, but we'll put on something different next time. I'll treasure those memories, but uh, the song. Um, a song that I will listen to anytime, any day of the week uh, is track seven, Testing One, Two, Three. Testing One, Two, Three. Can anybody hear me if I share the irony? Would everybody cheer me if I Oh, good song. Great song. Oh, such a good song. This feels kind of like, uh, like in, in the same way that Celebrity feels like Box Set Part 2, this kind of feels like Pinch Me Part 2. Oh, yeah. Me. Okay, I could see that. I kind of I kind of yeah. equate it actually to Alternative gar- Girlfriend for some reason. Oh, uh, tell me more. I, I just think some of the lyrics really stand out to me for some reason uh Mm. got a new apartment it's out in the escarpment which is very toronto and i like it Uh, and in a glove compartment are my songs and then it just goes into about his partner finding them and deciding that she doesn't like them yeah the reason that i i equate it to that is you know it's a story about him dating someone the relationship right and it seems like testing one two three is almost the second part to that where it's they've met again afterwards and now they're a bit more mature yeah, but but very very good song. What do you? What's your interpretation? No, I was just thinking. I was just thinking the glove compartment line. Uh, I was trying to figure out what that was reminding me of. But like it, that little stanza about uh, in our glove compartment are my songs, is very similar to like the weird little plot twist in in the car, about the yeah because it's like she's in the car with her new husband listening to the radio and I think that song's about me. Like it's kind of the same like moment, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's just a very, very good song. And like you said, it's um, funny enough that my two favorite songs off this album, actually, that's not true. I think my favorite song is coming up, but <laughs> my two, well, two of my favorite tracks on the album are, again, just Ed Robertson joints, yeah. very similar to Maroon, where 
it was all Steven except for the two singles, which were all Ed. Yep. No, because so you think that this is like a like this is like a relationship kind of song? Yeah, I think so. You know, since she decided she preferred them all wrong. But I mean, that's just one very specific part of those lyrics. It could very much be about someone. Give me your take. Well, no, because I was saying that it kind of feels like Pinch Me Part 2 because I always felt it sounds more like just Ed speaking as himself and going over those same feelings about, like, why didn't, uh, like, we take off the way we thought we were going to after we got to Canada? Because, like, there's the... Okay. Because, like, the, the chorus is, like, a bit, uh, testing one, two, three, can anybody hear me? If I shed the irony, would everybody cheer me? Saying, like, what, like, is it the, like, the way the band is presenting itself? Is it, the like, what are we doing wrong? that we're not taking off the way that we thought we were going to. And there's also the line, and, and specifically what made me think of it that way was the line, uh, like the last time with a bunch of really fast rhymes. I thought, I, th- I feel like that's explicitly a reference to one week. You know what? Now that I think more about the lyrics in this song, I think that you're yeah. the one who's right. Uh, because you yeah? think about... Oh, okay. Well, oh, cool. Even, <laughs> well, even the bridge... Ah, I won the podcast. Because that's exactly what this is all about. <laughs> This is a competition. We are taking points. Loki competition going on right now. But yeah, I think that uh, the way that you're interpreting those lyrics makes a lot of sense. And it's funny though because I listened to this. I listened to this album a couple of times this week in preparation as I was working. But this song, the fact that I'm able to just spout off lyrics off the top of my head, just kind of shows how much I listen to this and how much it's on heavy rotation on some of my playlists. This was a. Uh, this is actually the because um, I, I was talking last week about the like weird like yearly music journal mixtapes i would always make this is the this was the bare naked ladies track i put on no actually this is the first bare naked ladies track that made it onto one of those oh very nice Uh, when i the one I, i did in 2005 and i remember specifically thinking um like years and years later like listening back to the mixtapes i made that 2005 and that track that was kind of the year my taste in music started to solidify because mm. like for first and second year like 2003 and 2004 like i really tried to get into punk music for like a year and it just didn't take and like this record was kind of and this song was kind of me really admitting like no i'm a folk festival kind of dude like this is and that's this and that's fine, fine. you don't good. have to like all music yeah uh and i also uh i used this song as the theme song to a sitcom pilot I wrote that I uh, did a live reading of at Comedy Bar in 2010. Oh, yeah. But it was a sitcom about a radio station. So like, ah, testing one, two, three. And the Bare Naked Ladies did another sitcoms theme song. This is going to be great. I'm going to sell this immediately. Sweet royalty money. Again, they're all about that. Uh, track eight, Upside Down. I'm not surprised it's come to this. Sooner or later, there must be another kiss. And I kiss the promise of a life of bliss. Yeah, great. I won't be taking the bait. I'd rather drown. And I will not turn my heart upside down. Um, sounds like maybe it's about being afraid to take risks. Yeah, I, I could see that. I don't know. It's kind of, yeah. it feels very tango influenced to me. Yeah. It's kind of got that the beginning you've got that little beginning it's almost like flamenco clapping in the middle of it so it again mm. is it's them playing around with genres which i kind of like it's them taking a risk yeah yeah um musically it's very very interesting yes very much so you've yeah. got those weird like falsetto voices that, that it seems as though they've kind of gone through like processing where it's i will not turn my whole life upside down and it's steven but then in the background it's just like very shrieky voices it's weird yeah like i haven't listened to a lot of uh like, I, I feel like I should maybe start trying to listen to more of Stephen Page's solo stuff. But this sounds, I feel, more like Stephen Page's solo work than a Bare Naked Ladies song. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Especially since I think he's doing a lot of stuff solo with, like, a full orchestra and full band. Yeah. I could very much see that yeah. being like this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this was, like, right before, like, his first like solo album like side project solo album came out the vanity project and i feel like yeah i feel like this has a similar kind of sound to some of that stuff yeah i don't know um this is also a song that i can kind of like take or leave like it's it's interesting like it's it's not boring certainly it's a very very interesting song it just doesn't like i don't know it doesn't push my buttons it feels very much like 
as we go into the next track, it almost seems like it's just there to be a contrast for the next track, really. Uh, which is, I think, one of their great tracks. From the very fear that makes you want to die It's just the same as what keeps you alive It's one more trouble and some suicide is Won't it be dull when we... Like, one of the, like... My favorite song off of this album, to be honest. But really? Huh. It's very, it's very dark. It's very different than a lot of their stuff, but I think that's why I like it so mm-hmm. much. It, I mean, I'm a pretty emotional guy sometimes, oh. sometimes to a fault, but this song makes me cry. Yeah. It is beautiful yeah. and so haunting and just so, God, yeah. yeah. It's, I love this What's song. That, what, I love it a lot. About, like it making you cry. Like it, like last time I was like, uh, when I, I started listening to the album again to like refresh my memory it, this week, it started... Like it really made me think of uh, like the song "Words Fail" from Dear Evan Hansen. Oh yeah, have you ever seen that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't. I've listened um, to the to the soundtrack, but I haven't seen it yet. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it like it kind of reminds me of like the climactic soliloquy song, which is like a like uh, in musical theater, like a it's like a song that's famous for the actor having to like blub and sob openly during the end of that song. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that because it, yeah, it really, really reminds me of that and like steve's wail at the end is just like utterly heartbreaking yeah very like, much where he so. kind of like loses like loses like it sounds like he like doesn't have enough breath to finish the note and the whole song is building so up to good. that again very yeah. unfortunate toronto reference where they talk about the blur viaduct which <sighs> they did indeed put a net underneath yeah. because too many people were jumping off of it yep I mean, we're not getting jokey here because this is definitely not a jokey song, but I mean, you talk about how much you love a narrative in a song. What do you feel about the story of this song? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it's a bit more, it's, it's a bit more opaque than some of their other story songs. Cause for the longest time before I kind of listened to it more closely and I was just kind of like feeling the emotions of the song, I thought it was more, uh, just like a song in like, just in general about, depression and medication and i didn't really catch some of the more narrative specificity of it but yeah it's it's really really heartbreaking yeah when steve wails that's way more trouble than some suicide is worth it's that's that's what gets me that's really what single tear followed by several more tears and then even more (laughs) yes well it doesn't help that that whole section just has that just that really pulsing build up to it that is like it's oh it's so dramatic. Probably I remember Great. when we did Maroon I said oh tonight is the night I fell asleep at the wheel is probably their second most serious or most deviation away from most of their songs since the flag. I take that back this is definitely yeah. it's still the flag which is just Yeah yeah yeah. Jesus. Slag is number one forever. Like, that always takes the gold medal for being a, like, super And I don't think they should try to make another song that takes that top spot. I think that that's... No! No! That would be a bummer! That would be a huge bummer. More on drugs. I appreciate them trying to be serious again, and this is the perfect level of seriousness under the flag. Yeah. I I feel like they're, like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I need to put a shout-out to I really like the central metaphor and the, like, um the lyrical wit uh that as as dark and dramatic as it is in this song of like the war on drugs meaning like the because like a lot of the song talks about like people who don't think antidepressants are a good thing when they can actually help a lot of people yeah very true like the like the line sorry to admit i fought the war on drugs like the protagonist saying like oh if only i had thought that my if only I'd thought my friend could have been helped by being medicated, things could have been different. But yeah. I was against it because I think they dull your emotions or whatever, which is what that line about, uh, like, wouldn't it be dull if without our demons haunting us? There's definitely a stigma about yeah. medication for mental illness yeah. that for some reason there is a gut reaction for people to just say, I don't need medication because mm-hmm. it almost makes you admit that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. But there is something wrong with you in a very real way. And that's, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. That is to help you. So I, I agree as well. And just like many other illnesses, you need sometimes uh, medicine is necessary. And yeah. 
good song with some some social commentary there. Very much so. Way yeah. better than shopping. Yes, absolutely. Shopping that absolutely. kind of failed at the so- social commentary. This is this is them getting there are it right. fourteen songs on this album. I feel like could they could have they could have cut it down to thirteen and left shopping off. Um, a much lighter song afterwards. Aluminum. the central metaphor of this song it's got like a really dreamy sound it's i've never thought more about this song than since i've moved to australia because of the because aluminum to me aluminium to some is it aluminium in australia it is aluminium every single other place in the world except for north america hey there's a lot of square miles in north america there's a lot of geography And it all harkens back to a Better Home and Living magazine. I don't know if that was the exact magazine type, but um, way back in the day when aluminum foil was advertised and it was a typo. They didn't add the I. And North Americans just ran with it, aluminum. Oh, huh. So it technically is aluminum, but you know we still will just say aluminum. Uh, this is also weird. I also just noticed looking at my notes, I misspelled aluminum when I wrote down the name of the song on the heading to leave out the I, because that's how I pronounce it as a Canadian. Ah, oh, my mind has been blown again. Did you, did you keep the I? No, I just put in some O's and X's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't, know. I don't have much to say about this song other than like, yeah, I like the like the central metaphor of like, oh, you think that you're silver, but you're actually aluminum. It's a, a you know, like, uh, this is a song about realizing that you deserve better out of a relationship again very good keys i like the key medley by kevin hearn really opens it sets the tone it's good stuff yeah i i think that's pretty much just my that's my funny anecdote being in australia i think about this song a lot but before i moved to australia i did not think about it that much track 11 unfinished that pause in for effect <laughs> my, my train of thought was unfinished there oh the segue came after introducing Yo. Uh, well. yeah i feel like there's a bunch of songs on this album that feel like kind of like sequels to previous songs they've put out because they deal with similar themes and this feels like yeah this kind of feels like never do anything part two i wonder if it was just them looking at their greatest hits and they're like okay we gotta do a new <laughs> album uh go go with more of that <laughs> It was that record executive again saying like, oh no, we need, an, we need another Never Do Anything. We need another Too Little Too Late. We need another uh, spider in my room. Wait, Let's do the same shit. Scratch that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good. I think that it has some of the best wordplay. It's very jokey at that point. Again, yeah. good keys. Just that dun, 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 dun. It's, uh, that, that's <laughs> good keys. Dun, 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 dun. Um, you can tell I'm a musician. But... Yeah, I left a tip, but it was never a donation. It's yeah, it's, it yeah, it's it's kind of is part of exactly what you said. Also, a little bit of I guess um, falling for the first time as well. You've got those contrasts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because both of those songs kind of felt like just like Ed like pulled out a scratch pad and said, "All right, I'm gonna start a sentence and then flip it on its head," <laughs> and just did that for a full page. And that's all right. I got a song now. Let me get my rhyming, rhyming dictionary and let me get uh, my thesaurus. Let <laughs> me get my, my thesaurus with the antonyms page open to it. It, it. It's good. It, it's. I think this is probably, again, one of those throwaway tracks in the album. You can tell, you can tell they're getting yeah. to the end. Yeah. And they're just like, all right, guys, only a few mm-hmm. more songs and then we'll, we'll be done with this. I don't know. It feels like it's kind of got, got like a kind of a Beach Boys kind of feel to it as well. The, the vocal harmonies, Unfinished. definitely. I can yeah. see that, definitely. Yeah which is kind of the main thing I like about the song again. Yeah, this feels a bit of like a bit of a throwaway to me. Speaking of which, two in a row. Is it true? Second best is fine. Uh, sounds like a like a Fountains of Wayne song, but not in a good way. I've never heard Fountains of Wayne and the Bare Naked Ladies used in the same sentence until just now. That's great. I, well, I, uh, like, you know, 
pop rock, early 2000s sort of thing. I don't know. Both are regarded as one-hit wonders in some circles. True. Yes, that's right. Baron, Fountains of Wayne, I think, won the Grammy for Best New Artist with Stacey's Mom, but they've been around for 10 years. Oh, God. Best oh, New right. Artist, guys. We've been doing this for a long time. I think I, I do like Second Best more than Unfinished. I think Second Best, weird enough that you think it's a throwaway. I do too, but I think it could have been a single. It's got that radio-friendly play. Like It sounds like it was made for the radio yeah. to me. Yeah, but again, maybe not really necessarily in a good way for me. But Listen, man, yeah. anything would have been better than another postcard. So Yeah, that's true. Just... That should, see, yeah, actually, now that you say about, like, oh, maybe make second best track three and make chimpanzees track People 12. People just be like, what is this? <laughs> what is this nonsense? Um, I feel comfortable moving on from second best. You feel we've, uh, I got no more material. Yeah. Track 13, similarly, take it outside. And Also, to me, sounds like a Fountains of Wayne song, but in a good way, rather than second best where it's in a bad way. It's very much another country banger, is what I've got. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, yeah, yeah. again, I mean, geez, it's Ed just waxing about getting his ass kicked. Uh, just about <laughs> like, just, you know, oh man, every, any other guy, but I'm just a down on his luck dude who, uh, <laughs> it just, it's, it's one of those like, oh, I'm making it in this, in this podunk saloon. It's, uh, <laughs> And he's got that even right at the beginning where it's just like, oh, I watch it all go down. He like turns that into, he gets like that again, like twang in his voice that he has on For You. So similar mm. to everything that we've been saying, it almost feels like you retroactively look at it and they're just like, uh, let's just have a exit strategy in case Steve decides to leave the band. Cause this could very much be a song again, off of like any of their post albums too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does kind of have like a post all you, uh, I was just about to say post all you can leave behind. That's a U2 record. Um, <laughs> post all in good time. All in good time. The other A uh, album. So I was thinking today because like, uh, like, do you think this song is literally about a guy who's a pacifist or is it like, is it or is it also a relationship song? Because I was thinking today, is it is it about getting in fights with your partner rather than physical fights? I feel like maybe there's legs there, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I always interpreted it as very much a pacifist or someone who is doesn't stand up for themselves, doesn't, well, not stand up for themselves because that's bad. Because like you shouldn't, if you're a grown man, you probably shouldn't be getting into fights in a in a bar. But very much just like you know saying that oh I'm watching it go down, I'm uh, you know any other guy, I'm not going to be the person who's you're going to get a rise out of me. I'd hope it wouldn't be about relationships because the physicality is a bit uncomfortable that way. And I get that it could be a metaphor. Yeah, that's true, actually. It yeah. definitely could be a metaphor, yeah. but I'd like, I'd choose to believe that it is just, mm -hmm. yes, someone who is not comfortable. Someone who, who isn't mm -hmm. good with confrontation. Which I can really, really relate to. Oh yeah, just preaching to the choir. <laughs> oh yes, I will, I will do absolutely anything to avoid any type of confrontation. Which, again, you know what? To be perfectly honest, who likes getting in fights? That's, I feel, it's a natural reaction. Any other guy, according to Ed Robertson. Any other guy, according to Ed Robertson. Yeah, Growing up on the like, mean uh, streets of Scarborough. Yeah, see, see, yet again, Ed, we have so much in common. You should come on the pod. <laughs> we'll talk about stuff. We'll talk about Scarborough. I'm non-confrontational. Chris is from Scarborough. We have tons to talk about. Two things. Uh, <laughs> we will not reimburse you for your cap. So... When I, when I first started re-listening to this in prep for the episode, I was making dinner when I first put it on, and the album just flew by. Mm. Like, my first note was like, this is such a speedy, like, everything just flows right together. It felt like the, the record was over in a minute. But gosh, this is 14 tracks. That's why this is like an, it feels like it's maybe an overlong episode we're starting to get into. But like, ugh. Because the last track, we have finally arrived at it. Have you seen my love? Have you seen my love? Have you seen my love? Have you seen my little girl? Oh, have you seen my love? 
to that point, this feels like a bonus track to me, and it is not technically a bonus track. It is an album track. It really does. It's. I think Take It Outside would have been a much better closer. Yeah, that feels like a strong, strong closer, and this feels like a like leave three minutes of silence at the end of your CD, and then there's a bonus track. It's it's nice. It's sweet. Yeah. It kind of really to me the contrast between Ed doing his thing on Take It Outside mm. and then going into like Stephen doing his thing, it very much is. They could be two songs from two solo albums almost. Yeah. Have you listened to uh have you listened to the um Bare Naked Ladies As You Like It soundtrack from the Stratford Festival? I have, yes. Yeah, yeah, this feels like um I don't know, Have You Seen My Love a bit to me feels like a song from that soundtrack. I can like see that very it's much. It's got this kind of like vaguely pastoral kind of instrumentation to it that again I like, but it's also kind of like a yeah, take it or leave it kind of thing. And also, like, the phrase little girl is used mm. to refer to someone's uh, romantic partner. And, like, I don't like it when Springsteen does it. I love Bruce Springsteen, but he does it all the time. I, I don't like Springsteen's little girl references. I don't like it here either. That's about it. I don't know. It seems weird to me. I don't like when Bruce Springsteen makes fun of one horse towns. <laughs> My my town had no horses and we were fine. I don't like it when... As a single horse, I dislike the implication that a town that I am the only horse in means it's a bad town. I'm doing my job as best as I can. It's hard enough being the only horse in this town, but then I got this asshole on the radio. Bad-mouthing me. Just, uh, yeah, just shaming me. Um, so how do, overall, how do you feel about this one? How do you feel about this album? I think it's what I said at the start. I think it's a very contrasting album. There's some songs on here. Mm -hmm. It's almost like every other song is great and every other song is just filler. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of disjointed to me. Yeah. I like it a lot, the memories that I have associated with it, like we spoke about. It'll always have a place in my heart for that. It's got a Baroque oil painting cover, which is one of the most yeah, rock and roll things is... I've ever heard of in my life. So that's kind of cool. Absolutely radical. I dig it. Um, definitely, probably, maybe it scratches the surface of my top 10, hmm. but I could very easily see it, it be 10 or 11 yeah. in terms of what. Because again, there are, other so there are other albums that don't, Maybe You Should Drive was one that when we re-explored it, I went, it is such a nothing album. Mm. And I think we both agreed with that, yeah. where there aren't any songs that are really lasting. But this album, I remember a lot of the lyrics of a lot of songs. I find them kind of coming into my head at random times. So mm. for that, it, it's had an impact on me. But there are definitely other ones that I would easily load up on spotify before this one what about yeah. you um it's it definitely will always have a special place in my heart because it is the first new album that they put out after i really became a fan of the band and i think that there's good reason for that um it's weird because like th this episode has reminded me more of the maybe you should drive episode because like going track by track it feels like the songs were more hit or miss yeah. on this album but i feel like unlike maybe you should drive this this one feels like more than the sum of its parts mm. i feel like kind of taken as a whole it's a much better record than the like the grading the songs individually track by track would make you believe thinking back over the past couple's episode i i think my top five is getting really really crowded uh, <laughs> i was right thinking now. that too yeah I, I think i'm gonna have to i think i'm gonna have to seriously reconsider um some of those opinions but i i feel like i feel like this is still in a top five mm -hmm. i feel like this is like a low top five but it's still in there nice that's yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to hear your top five and your top five batman films when we launch our pa our patreon <laughs> clothed men well, talk taped crusaders <laughs> no no clothed man clothed talks. man talks Talks. I think I said clothed man talks men in tights, but clothed men discuss caped crusaders is I think uh technically I think that's got more I think that's got more legs on it. Um what are we doing next? Are we going are we going to are, is it Christmas time next? Or are we going are we gonna keep with the studio albums? What do you what do you wanna do? 
I let's decide this. Let's on decide air. this on air live. On <laughs> let's track. have this. Dis- let's have this very boring administrative discussion on air. I think that we could we could do it because if my yeah. typing skills are because that's how you edit you type. Uh, yes. <laughs> remove um. If you <laughs> now just repeat I'm a million also, I'm times sorry for about me. That as. No, that's that's all. <laughs> Things I have in common with our country's prime minister. I do say um a lot as well. So again, I apologize sincerely for your editing on this too. So uh, that's everything to everyone. Chris, where, uh, where can our listeners find you in between apps? You can find me on Instagram at csmalltraveler, where I mostly right now send photos of my mustache because it is Movember. As of the release of this episode, it will no longer be Movember, but they'll still, they'll still take donations. So donate to a very good cause. January you want to put some money on they're not gonna not gonna say no bad idea bad business and you can find me on Twitter at csmall201 I mostly just post about UFC and wrestling you can also find our official podcast Twitter at cmdbnl give us a follow there where you can find out about new episodes dropping and see all the things that we retweet about Canadian rock they're pretty good Exactly. Uh, and uh, I'm Ephraim Ellis, and you can find me on Instagram at Ephraim Ellis. Don't get your hopes up too much, though, because it's mostly pictures of my cat and occasionally pictures of records I'm playing, uh, again, in uh, on brand for this podcast. Uh, and you cannot find me on Twitter anymore. Sorry about those previous episodes where I said I was on Twitter, because I got rid of Twitter this week. Boom. There you go. I'm feeling really good about myself. I hadn't checked it in, like, six months and said, you know what? Just going to podcast now instead. This is Ephraim's way of telling me on air that I am going to be the administrator of our of our Twitter on uh, for CMDBNL. Uh, fine, I can <laughs> log back in to do the podcast Twitter. Just when I thought I was out. <laughs> Come back for one last job. Uh, we are uh, some clothed men discussing bare naked ladies. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, and we, we have, have been, been clothed, clothed the, the whole time. time. See you later, guys.